So that's what it has to be. You have to let them know that there's a total package when it comes down to policing, man. It's not just guns and badges and nice cars and riding around with the shades on and listening to the radio and and that. No, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a profession of service and you have to be willing to provide service. And if that doesn't uh fit with what you, you're looking for, then you know, you need to look in, at, at something else. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Square Pegs? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. My name is Dale. I'm the host. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. I truly appreciate it. You know, I call myself and all you guys out there that support the show Square Pegs because, you know, that's just what we are. That puzzle piece that traditionally just didn't fit, but we made it fit through a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. That goes for any walk of life, but particularly minorities in law enforcement because, you know, that's what this show is about. So, again, I appreciate you and support and the support for the show. And uh, if you want to continue supporting the show, please like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcast. And uh, click that, uh, that click that uh, bell icon on the YouTube channel so you can get notified whenever I drop new content. Uh, check out the, the social media pages. We're everywhere at Black and Blue US. And, of course, the website at blackandblue.us. Okay, so let me introduce today's guest. He's a deputy chief of the Prince George's County, Maryland Police Department. Everyone, please help me welcome in Deputy Chief George Nichols. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How you doing, Bill? Excellent. Thank you for joining me this morning. Pleasure to be here. All right. Well, well morning for me. <laughs> Out here on the West Coast, it's not morning for you out there on the East Coast. How's your day shaping up so far? Uh, so far, so good, you know. Knocking on a little bit of wood here, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Appreciate you, appreciate you. So I, I mentioned that uh, you are a deputy chief with the Prince George's County, Maryland Police Department. For everybody that does not know where that is, please inform us. Okay, so we are known as the District of Columbia Suburbs. We border uh, Washington, D.C., and we sit in between them and Montgomery County, and also to the west, you have uh, Virginia. So we sit right there in that tri-state area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, DMV. Okay, got you, got you. And uh, so it's a county police department. I always find it interesting because uh, we don't have much of that uh, out here on the West Coast. County police departments, we have county sheriff's offices. Uh, what's, what's the distinction? Well, is there a, sheriff's, a county sheriff out in, uh, in Maryland? Uh, yes, County? Actually, yes, yes, there is. And uh, but the dip, the duties are different, whereas the Prince George's County Police Department is the primary law enforcement agency for Prince George's County. Uh, the Sheriff's Department is the ones that actually serve all the civil process and 
court documentation and things like that. So they handle civil um, and those type of uh, uh, obligations, whereas we take care of primary law enforcement. They do have arrest powers and everything else as well, but we do have both entities. Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah. At least out here, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the uh, down in the south, you know, sheriff's department, uh, you know, the sheriff is elected, and whereas the chief of police is is not elected, he's hired by whatever city or county, what have you. But uh, they out here in, in uh, California, they they do you know patrol as well in county areas in cities that don't want to make their own police have their own police department. They uh, they contract out with sheriff's departments uh, to do their their uh, law enforcement. So. Little distinction there, a little difference there. Cool. So, how how long you been with uh, Prince George's County? I've been with the uh, Prince George's County Police Department now for twenty three years. Wow, twenty three years. All right, and uh, so you you've risen through the ranks. Right now, you're a deputy chief. Uh, what is your, your your what are your duties entail there as a deputy chief? Well, as a deputy chief, I'm in charge of. Uh, there's four of us. I have the Bureau of Patrol, which is the largest. Uh, operational component in the department. So we have a department of approximately 1,700 both sworn and civilians. I oversee the Bureau of Patrol, which encompasses about 1,000 of those personnel, 850 sworn law enforcement officers and about 150 civilian personnel. Nice, nice. And how long have you been a deputy chief? I've been a deputy chief now for five years. I was uh, promoted to deputy chief January of 2016. All right, congratulations. Thank you. What What's the next step? What's the uh, the next uh, rank in your progression over there? Well, that would that's basically where it would be now. Anything else after that, of course, which that was appointed, but you know, chief of police, but that's also appointed by the county executive and then approved by the county council. So right now, unless I decide to actually become chief of police for the department, um, that that would be the yeah. next step. Okay, yeah. So, so you're you guys are under the chief. So there's a, That's yeah. Correct. Got you, got you. Okay, deputy chief. So no assistant chief and all that. Got you. Well, right. there, there is. There's so so the the structure is it's the chief. There's the assistant, and then you would have me as as three, and then you have three other deputy chiefs. You have a bureau of investigations, mm-hmm. a bureau of uh, administration, homeland security, and then the bureau of forensic science and intelligence which is the bureau that I first started in five years ago when I was first promoted. Yeah. I mean, you guys definitely need that out. I mean, we all need it out here in Cali and everywhere, but uh, definitely in the DC tri-state area, you definitely need that Homeland Security Bureau because everything that's been going down, uh, you know, since, since nine 11, right? Absolutely. All right. What other sort of assignments have you done in your career? Uh, let's see. Uh, of course, I started off in patrol, everybody does. Uh, about three years of that, I became an investigator. I investigated robberies, uh, assaults, burglaries, thefts, sexual offenses. I then got promoted to the rank of sergeant. I uh, was a patrol sergeant for a little while, then I went back into investigations. I was a gang unit sergeant. I investigated gang, uh, gang activity, uh, went to the um, Internal Affairs, Special Investigative Response Team, investigating criminal misconduct, you know, involving officers. I then was assigned to the Training Academy when I went back there and I was a sergeant there. I was promoted to lieutenant and I oversaw the homicide unit. I was the, the commander of the homicide for the department. I was promoted to captain and I stayed in homicide, but I became the assistant commander of the Criminal Investigation Division. So I saw homicide, oversaw homicide, 
robbery, sexual assaults. Uh, then got moved over to what they call the district station and patrol. I was the assistant commander there for a short period of time. Then actually got promoted to the rank of major and took over a patrol district station, which uh, is in Palmer Park, where is actually the home of FedEx Field, where the Washington football team plays. Okay. Uh, I was there for about two and a half years and then got promoted to the rank of deputy chief. And uh, the rest is history. The rest is history. The rest is history. The rest is history. I, I, I noticed you, you, you knew that distinction of what to call uh, the Washington football team as opposed to their old name. So <laughs> props on that. Well, I, I'm I'm a born and raised New Yorker, so I'm a diehard Giants fan. Now Uh-oh. I can't let my wife say that because she's a she's a diehard, you know, Washington football team fan. So. Uh oh. So how how's that dynamic in that household when they play? Oh, it, it 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 works very well. I get to stay in the basement and watch it by myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the dynamic out here. Uh, for a while there was no pro football, but we, now we got pro teams, two pro teams, but uh. USC and UCLA. So, you know, that, that's, exactly. that, that's the big rivalry out here. So whenever, you know, they play, you know, households divided and all that. <laughs> so definitely cool. Cool. So uh, out in Prince George's County, what's uh, what's the demographic makeup of, of that county? Is it uh, mostly diverse? What, what's the demographic makeup? It's diverse. However, it is the most affluent African-American community in the nation. So okay. it's a lot of it's a it's it's, it's one where African Americans are out here and I mean affluent. You have NASA out here in Greenbelt, Maryland. Of course, you have the District of Columbia, which uh, houses uh, Congress and and you know Senate and everything. So you have all of these people who are you know basically uh, tenured and 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 uh, successful that live here in Prince George's County, and it's still a suburban and rural area. So you have farmland out here, but you also have uh, million dollar homes. You have homes on the waterfront on the Potomac. You have a a, a myriad of of things here. Yeah, yeah. I noticed when you said that uh, one of the most affluent um, populations of African-Americans out there even even surpassed uh, Atlanta, huh? Yes. Yeah, because I know Atlanta had that distinction for a long time, so... All right, that's nice. I, you know, I'll have to get out there and visit one of these days. Maybe Absolutely. I drove through there because, I, yeah, I got family in D.C. I got family in somewhere in Maryland they were. I forgot where that was. But uh, I'm going to have to drive through there one of these days and check it out. I, I love D.C. I love going through there and, and all the history and, and all that. So that's good stuff. Yeah. How often do you, do you ever get to do any of those tours, you know, at the – at the Capitol, the White House, any of that sort of stuff? Well, unfortunately, the last tour that I got to do at the Capitol, I was down there for the January 6th uh, yes, insurrection. Yes. <laughs> so I was yeah, down I there for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, had a um, lot of uh, I, allied response for that, huh? A lot of allied response for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. How, how was that experience? I mean, uh, uh, everything that we see from afar on the news – um, was it as chaotic as, as the news, uh, put it out to be? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was. yeah. We had an officer at the Capitol police that, uh, lost his life, uh, during that, that insurrection. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of craziness. So, uh, whatever, whatever side of the fence you, you lie on politically, we all got to know that that that's not acceptable. That's not what, uh, we're about here in the U S 
and uh, everyone that that participated in that needs to be held accountable. So, looks like they looks like they're doing so. They're they're, they're catching those people one by one. So, glad yeah. to hear that. Glad to hear that. All right. So uh, you said it's, it's pretty diverse out there in in Prince George's County. Is is that where you're originally from? You said, no. You said you're no, from no, New no. York. Yeah. What, what brought you? What brought you down to Prince George's County? So uh, I served in the United States Marine Corps for eight years. Um, upon thank you for your service. High school. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. I was glad to serve. I uh, served in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. I got out of the Marines, and I had a, actually applied. I'd always wanted to be in law enforcement, and I actually applied to NYPD back at home. Uh, for anybody who's ever gone through that process or familiar, NYPD has a process where they have a long waiting list. Uh, my ex-wife, her sister and her husband lived in a place called Fort Washington, which is here in Prince George's County. And they were like, hey, um, you know, Prince George's County is hiring. And I said, okay. I was actually stationed in a place called Patuxent River, Maryland at the time, which is a uh, naval air station. Um, so I, I applied and got accepted. And uh, I was, uh, I separated from the Marine Corps in December, 1997, and went right into the Academy two weeks later. All right. So you say you had always wanted to be in in law enforcement, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. All right. What, what what's your story there? Did you just kind of like see uh, you know on TV, you know the 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 uh, cops and robbers shows, or did you have someone in law enforcement that kind of inspired you? What's your story there? So I, I did. So the inspiration that I had, um, my godfather was a detective with NYPD. And he used to come by the house and, and he would tell stories of police work and policing. But it wasn't so much the detective work that he would always talk about that was intriguing. It was actually prior to making detective, the work that he did on the streets. Um, in, in, in New York City, I mean, you know, you had a lot of officers that walked foot beats and foot posts. Yep. He would always talk about the relationships that he made with people during those times and everything. And, and, and I was always one that, you know, if you, if you can make a difference or, you know, a positive difference every day. That's something that shows a success. It's like this old adage that I've always followed that if you get out of bed in the morning, if you make your bed, if you don't accomplish anything else the rest of the day, you didn't make your bed, you accomplished something. So it always seemed like that work in policing and what he would always talk about was something that was rewarding or not just your end, but on the end of something else that you served. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so while you were in, in New York, did, uh, you ever get to go on any, any ride-alongs or visit the police station or anything like that to kind of spur, spurred you on a little bit further? I did. I did. I actually did. I, I did one or two ride-alongs, and then I uh, visited several stations. And then I actually had wanted to become one of the auxiliary police officers, but then, you know, upon the time of graduating, I decided to go on and, and join the military. So I didn't go into the auxiliary police force, which, you know, could have been a segue right into the job, but I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Serve. Yes, yes. And uh, what would you do in the uh, in the military? So in the military, I was what you call a, I was a field artillery man. I was in field artillery, so I was in a combat uh, support. I, I was in a combat uh, element in, in regards to the uh, occupational specialty. Yeah. So, so you saw you saw combat time, obviously, uh, during that time. What was that experience like for you? Actually. It, it wasn't as bad as, as one would think. We I know some people have actually had experienced some um, 
some real traumatic experiences with it because they were engaged in battle. If you yeah. go back in time and you look at Desert Storm, Desert Shield, um, the air the air components had done such a great job of disorienting those Iraqi forces that they were just willing to uh, uh, surrender. So we didn't really get to do a whole lot of skirmishes and, and firefights. We did more uh, escorting of, of uh, you know, of, of prisoners and, 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 you know, just getting people to safety. It was more like humanitarian more so than combat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's good work as well, obviously, you know, spreading the goodwill uh, throughout, you know, those impoverished areas and war-torn areas and all that. So, you know, that that, that helps. And um, we're still we're still there a little bit, pulling out a little bit here and there, but, uh, you know, that that's needed. Definitely needed work. So, again, I appreciate you for your service. Thank you. So what about your department? Uh, you know, you said that uh, Prince George's County is, is pretty diverse. How, how about your department as well? Uh, the department is very diverse. Um, we, we still, unfortunately, after, you know, the events of, of, of uh, last year, uh, recruitment, unfortunately, has taken a, 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 dramatic, a, a, a dramatic toll in the negative area. Uh, and that's on, you know, especially as it relates to, you know, our our people, minorities. Uh, they they feel as though it's in a different light where this is now a profession or a, uh, an occupation where it, it requires you to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it, it requires you to not really provide services to people. And then because of the way that they have seen our people being treated, they don't want to be a part of something that's, that, that's a cult. They don't want to be a part of something that's they consider right. a, a culture that's you know you know shunned out people so to speak exactly and 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 again that's partly why i wanted to do this show to show you know in in recruitment that you know you don't have to be you know a part of that you know, negative culture because we're not all that way 99.9 percent of uh of law enforcement officers are out there just trying to do the right thing and do their job and go home and not hurt anybody but uh you know they need to see that they need to see faces like you and i and hear some of these stories so that that, that was my kind of my motivation for doing this show so e- even if you didn't want to be a police officer after seeing this show at least you can kind of bridge the gap you know with with law enforcement and, and understand and and have that mutual respect absolutely yeah yeah so uh you you brought up the uh george floyd incident how did that affect you personally? And then uh, how did that affect your community down there? Uh, personally, I thought it was a very dark day in history. Um, but I, I use this uh, analogy and I tell people that 2020 was one of the most challenging and tumultuous years we had, but you have to relate 2020 to sight because they say 2020 is perfect sight. So in 2020, eyes were opened. We saw things that people maybe want to turn a blind eye to or uh, didn't think was happening or said, well, it's really not as bad as people make it out to be. And they saw firsthand on national TV that the complaints of people and what they had believed and said was happening, they saw firsthand. Uh, So I'll just say that uh, being in, in in this profession and seeing what I saw in there, it was a travesty. I was disgusted. I was angry. And it wasn't even some, and it was not only the fact of what I saw that that person do. It was the fact that there were others 
that swore to uphold and protect that did yes. nothing to, to yes. prohibit it and prevent it. That was even worse. Yeah. Yeah. We, we hear the, uh, the story of the one of them being a rookie is either on the FTO program or just got off. And you know, how's he going to be able to tell, you know, more senior officers to stop doing what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's, I know it would be tough, but you got to do what you got to do and make sure that, whoever was in our custody is, is safe, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, that's what we're there to do, protect lives and property. So, uh, it may be tough, but you got to do what you got to do. So I guess maybe easier for me to say, and easy for you to say, you know, over 20 years, both of us in the, in the business, you know, hopefully we would have acted appropriately with a, a year or less than a year on, but, uh, you know, that's what we should do. That's what we should all aspire to do. Well, and, and to put it to put it very simply, you know, it's simplistic. When you raise your hand at your graduation ceremony and you're taking the oath, you take the oath to to protect and serve. Yes. And regardless of the fact I'm a deputy chief and the lowest ranking officer out there sees me doing something inappropriate, wrong, or or, or illegal, they have an obligation to stop me because if they're there. And they do nothing. They're culpable. They they're are. just as guilty as I am. Exactly. So I always look at it from that way. I'm not going to be guilty of something that uh, that that you did, knowing I had the right and the and the obligation to stop it. Yeah, yeah. On the flip side, though, you know, playing devil's advocate, um, say that officer, one of the officers, did step in, right, and they stopped, uh, you know, that officer from from doing what he's doing to, you know ultimately killed George Floyd. So they stop him. And then now George Floyd is not dead. How does that play out later on as far as IAs and all that? Because, you know, there's no proof that anything was happening. George Floyd isn't dead. You know what I mean? How can you stop another officer? You know, I had this under control. I wasn't going to kill him. You know, that's what, you know, the officer could say as a defense. Um, But, you know, you stopped him. You know, just playing devil's advocate there. Well, and I appreciate that. Uh, but the thing that you have to look at is is tactic. Um, like in in the in our Prince George's County and our general orders, there are certain tactics and certain uh, measures that you use. Yes. We don't put knees in people's backs and in their necks, so that's an improper procedure. So you have a right to stop them. I wasn't going to kill them. It doesn't matter. It's an improper procedure. You can't do it. Yeah. Uh, a chokehold. We don't do chokeholds. So if you've got somebody in a chokehold, no, you can't do that. You have to stop it. You're morally obligated to stop it. And here's the thing, regardless of the fact that I wasn't going to kill him or not, you use an improper technique or an improper tactic, and it was recorded and on national TV. So even yes. having spent some time in internal affairs and having that uh, that visible proof, that audio and visual proof, I would have had no other uh no other choice but to charge the officer with at least yeah. improper technique and tactic no doubt no doubt i'm saying at least for my department and your department um the the knee and the thing is not acceptable it's not part of policy I, I don't know if it's true but i i had heard that that was part of their their training over there that they could do so so if, if that is the case um it'd be, be kind of hard pressed to stop somebody from doing that if, if that's what they're trained to do you know no, be, and you know, it's kind of dumb. Um, yeah, no, kind of a and, dumb and, and, thing to to have in your training, but uh, nonetheless, 
um, it, it, if it was in their in their manual and they are trained to do so, then it's kind of, be kind of tough to stop somebody from doing what they're trained to do. And and that was the point. That's why I said if it's an improper technique or tactical and it's not taught, then by all means you have every right to stop it. If it was taught, and this is why we review and do legal updates and everything biannually because you have to look at what's best practices. Yes. And um, we all know that we we talk about. Um, if you're playing with children and they're on their stomach and you tickle them so much, you can't be on them because, you know, the, the, the chest compressions to get you to rise and fall at the appropriate level is restricted because they're on their stomach. That's right. what leads to, you know, those breathing uh, issues and can cause death because you're not getting the appropriate amount of oxygen into the body. So you're right. Those are the things that they have to look at. And if that was a tactic, that was approved, which, like I said, here in Prince George's County, we don't utilize that. No. And I can speak no. to that. So... I can tell you right now, if I saw that in this Prince George's County, we'd have a serious problem. No, exactly, exactly. So, um, moving on, another thing that, that hit hard in, in 2020. You know, first of all, let, let, let me just stick with that. Uh, you know, in, in the wake of George Floyd and then also Breonna Taylor, um, there were a bunch of protests that, that uh, ensued because of that. Uh, how, how was Prince, Prince George's County affected with uh, protest, if at all? Uh, we we had we had the we had the um, we had the, the protests we had the the, the very respectful and, 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 and civil marches we spoke with the organizers and leaders and we understood um, their positions and what they were asking for and we all know that people protest because they feel as though that's the last resort they're, they've right. they've talked they've tried and now they have to lash out. But there wasn't any destruction. They, they were all peaceful. They, they, they all uh, did it in a place where it would have meaning, whether it was uh, down in what we call up in Marlboro, where our county government is and everything. But they, they assembled peacefully. They, you know, they had their conversations. We had conversations with them. And their idea and their goals was to make sure that they had, um, you know, better treatment, fair and equitable treatment, you know, for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then, like I said, uh, you, you also have all the allied responses uh, down in uh, D.C. That, at the Capitol. Uh, did you have to send uh, manpower down there as well to kind of help out with anything that was happening down there as well? We, we did. In fact, uh, I have the Special Operations Division under me as well, which is, you know, like SWAT teams and, and emergency services teams and all that. So we had them on standby. We took what we call our civil dis uh, civil disturbance unit down there. It was about 80 officers. I, I went down um, and and we, we assisted. We, we were able to bring about uh, order in, 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 a, in, in conjunction with the U.S. Capitol Police and, of course, uh, Metropolitan, Metropolitan Police Department. We all were able to bring about um, uh, peace and, and order again. But yeah, we, we did have an active role of actually being online with them shoulder to shoulder and helping to remove yeah. people from the Capitol. Yeah, I, I love how the, you know, it, it seems like you guys work really well out there in the tri-state area. Uh, and, and you have to because it's continual. You're always working on, on these sorts of things together. So you guys train together, I'm sure, a lot and, and do lots of operations together. Uh, not so much, you know, where I'm at uh uh, most most agencies are self-contained and if we need help you know we put out the the call and then you know but the next officer from the next department may not necessarily know what i'm going to do because we don't necessarily train uh hopefully you know all the training is is the same but uh not necessarily so so it's good to see that out there in in the tri-state area over there 
Yeah. So, um, moving on was uh, another thing that happened in, in 2020 was COVID, and yeah. it's still happening. Still happening. Uh, you know, a lot of things are still closed, but hopefully we can get some reopenings. How did COVID affect uh, you personally, and then uh, how did it affect your community? Well, thank God. And my wife is also on the police department as well. So uh, okay. we, we, we're, we're both vaccinated you know, now. So we both got, we got both doses as, as first responders. Uh, so personally, and thank God again, knocking on a little wood here, we didn't get the virus. And uh, my daughter who resides with us didn't get the virus. Um, as it relates to police work, we did have to change our, our structure. We had to stand up. Uh, our, well, we always have what we call a telephone reporting unit. And those are officers that are assigned uh, to take calls over the phone, which are nonviolent calls. If it's a theft, that doesn't require somebody to come out and process. Not a burglary, but you know where an officer's response isn't needed. Um, you know, we'd have uh, those, those officers assigned. But we did, in the course of, pande- uh, of this pandemic, we did increase the uh, personnel of that unit to assist in taking more calls to service and things like that. Um, unfortunately, we had to suspend the ride-along programs, which was one of the uh, 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 things that we used to uh, continue to introduce our citizens to the law enforcement experience and to maintain those relationships and partnerships with them. So we had to you know, suspend those and, and, and uh, community policing, uh, the, the Citizens Police Academy, the Young Adults Police Academy, things that we always use to interact, you know, in, in person, unfortunately, we had to suspend. However, we have since, you know, gone back to those platforms, minus the ride along, but the meetings and everything else, we have to use the Zoom and, and Teams platforms. So we're still able to now maintain relationships. Unfortunately, we just have to do it um, uh, virtually. And that's why I don't use the term uh, social distancing. I'll always use the term physical distancing with, with social people. I mean, we know that, yes. I mean, human, the humans need social interaction. People have known have been known to uh, pass away because of lack of, of, of social activity. So we have to remain social, but unfortunately, physically, we have to do it. So I always say physical distance, not social distance. So. And, and that's tough. Are, are, are the schools uh, reopening out there in the, in the area, in your area? So they they plan to open this reopen schools on April 8th. And because like the school resource officers and the crossing guards uh, fall with, uh, up within my purview, we're now working on uh, what that's going to look like for the reopening of schools, the, the uh, vaccinations, the uh, personnel, which schools may open, which are going to open for full time, uh, you know, full day, which may open half a day. Those are the items that we haven't nailed down completely yet, but these are the things that we are discussing uh, at this moment. Right, right. And, and I mentioned that because you mentioned that, uh, you know, we're social people, so it's physical distance. And a lot of that uh, is manifesting in our kids that are doing this distance learning and they're not seeing, you know, their, their friends and all that physically. You know, they may see them on, on uh, Zooms and, and Instagrams and all that, but they're not physically in school interacting with their, with their peers. They're not at lunchtime where they can just talk and, and a lot of them aren't even doing sports anymore. Uh, and, and that's manifesting in a lot of d- depression in these kids now and, and issues with, with their learning, you know, uh, kids that used to get good grades in school now, you know, aren't even logging on. So th- those are things that we need to 
work out sooner rather than later because you know we're, we're we we got these kids that that lost you know a year or two sometimes it, if it doesn't doesn't stop any any time soon maybe even three years of, of their education absolutely totally agree yeah 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 so um <laughs> I was joking with somebody about, uh, you know, cause I, my son just started college. So he's a freshman and, uh, he wants to get into the medical field and, uh, oh, you know, nice. di- yeah. So, so, uh, doctors right now that are, you know, graduating, yeah, I, I would assume that they're doing in medical school, they're doing distance learning too. Um, I don't know how that works out. Um, so like <laughs> You know, if if you're going to be looking for a doctor in the future, you know, when you look up their credentials, you say, uh, when did you graduate? Was that the, was that the time during COVID? You know, did you get your degree on YouTube? You know, <laughs> so, right. yeah, yeah. so I'll pass. I'll get I'll get somebody that graduated in you know early 2000s. So, so that that's right. going to be that's, yeah, that's a bad thing. So hopefully hopefully we can get through this sooner rather than later. So you mentioned you got you got a, a family over there. What, what do you guys like to do when you're not working? Uh, so you know, like the wife and I, because we we pretty much for the most part we're empty nesters now. So um, okay, she and I, our, our thing is you know we we just you know we'll spend our time together. She also has her own. Uh, we make sure we have our own things to do as well, so we don't crowd each other. Like her thing is, my wife does. Uh, she bakes and she she does extraordinary work. So she, okay. she's baking and doing those things, and you know, as it relates what, to what me, sort of things you know, does I, she bake? It, you know, like sweets uh, or everything, everything, huh? Yeah, sweets and all, yeah, everything. I'm, I'm glad I don't like sweets like that. I probably about four hundred pounds. But you, but you like bread though. I'm, I'm sure she gets down with breads and rolls and biscuits and all that, right? She does, yeah, and, and actually, yeah. But you know, in moderation, you know, you, you, yes. you, know, you gotta you gotta be careful with that too because yeah. then you you know you. That'll get on you too. But um, yep, yep. my my things is, you know, I, I like to read and, uh, you know, when the weather breaks and all that, I, I go fishing and stuff like that. So those are my hobbies. And I actually, since the pandemic, I've, I've gotten into like, um, into like cooking, uh, you know, not that I was a bad cook anyway, but now I'm looking at like really expand. I'm trying to go into more cultural dishes. So I'm, I'm looking at some of the things like um, Italian, uh, like, like uh genuine Italian dishes and stuff. So um that's that's like another one of my hobbies now is a, you know, I'll look at the recipes and I'll try to uh do them. So nice, nice. So if you get better than that, we can start calling you Deputy Chef. Deputy Chef, there you go. Deputy All Chef, right. George Nichols. <laughs> that's right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get that going. I, I worked a case uh years ago with uh with a guy from another department um he had a cooking show he was a detective he had a cooking show uh he's pretty big on facebook he'd been on the food ne- network and all that and uh his his name was uh the culinary detective mm. yeah so he would go around and and do food tastings at restaurants and all that sort of thing so so when he retired i think he he went and, and did that full time so shout out to him so gotta have gotta yeah, have absolutely. hobbies gotta have hobbies yeah because that's the thing in our profession when you hear you know a lot of people that after they retire you know five years after you know they you know they they croaked because this was their life they had nothing mm-hmm. outside of that and they didn't know how to deal with the stress while they were on the job yeah and, and actually the, you know my other thing too is you know I, I, I lift weights you know anywhere between you know 
you know, four or five times a week and, you know, I still get my cardio in that. You have to maintain that, that shape because you're right. The stress will uh, manifest itself, manifest itself and you don't even realize it, you know, getting headaches and you start putting on this, this weight around the midsection and you don't understand it. And it's, and it's that stress weight. So you have to, you have to, like I said, you have to take care of that. And especially again, we're talking about our demographic. It, it affects us more so than anything. Yeah. You know, I interviewed uh, somebody from uh, Baltimore County, uh, from Baltimore PD a while ago, um, Vernon Heron. I don't know if you know him or not. but I know, he's a, I know, I know, I know Vernon very well. Uh, yes, yes. So he's the director of wellness over there. Um, mm-hmm. Does your department have any sort of program where, you, where you're looking after officers' mental health and, and physical health? Yes. So we, of course, have a, uh, a very robust uh, mental and, and, and physical uh, program. Uh, in fact, officers have to provide certification each and every year that they uh, that they are physically capable of continuing to do the job. If they don't uh, provide that, they are uh, immediately placed on an administrative uh, um, an administrative posture until they get that done, and, and a doctor signs off on that. Uh, as it relates to to uh, psychological, that's one that you know I would like to see us also have them provide a. Um, a certification, not talking about what it is they discuss and can't do that, but just to yeah. say, hey, you know, I, I saw my my therapist or whatever, and the therapist is, you know, says here, based on conversation I had, they're still uh, psychologically capable and, and mentally stable to uh, do the job. And, and that's, and those are the things that we need. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, um, this is something that I believe, if not most departments, all departments are going to end up going to at some point because the mental the mental strength uh, of an individual is just as and in in some cases more important than physical strength is absolutely absolutely because uh we 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 take that stress home to either our loved ones or you know if we have nobody at home just you know uh to ourselves and and eats you up inside so uh, you got to be able to to, to release that, whether physically to working out or, or actually talking about things, uh, you know, the things that we see on this job. So it, it's a, uh, it's a double-edged sword because I, I like this job. I got into this job because of the variety of things that you see. It's not the same thing every day, uh, but those things that you see can eat at you as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, your progression through, through the ranks at Prince George's County, um, did you have any mentors that kind of ushered you along the way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, some of the mentors I had on the department, the, the first mentor I had was, uh, the first sergeant I had when I went to the investigative section, um, Sergeant Hampton Johnson, his nickname was Boogie and he was like my dad on the department. We actually, uh, faded. People thought I was actually his son that he had gone on. So, um, <laughs> He was my mentor, and he would always tell me he was, and he would say, "He say, son, I need you to do better than me." And when you look at a guy who came on in the early '80s, and he had actually started in the late '70s because he he had started with uh, Metro Transit Police Department first, and then switched over to our department. Um, and he would talk about how back in those days you didn't see too many of us make it past certain ranks, sergeants, yeah. and things like that. So of course, his his thing was is. He was like, you're going to do better than me. So he was definitely my first mentor on the department. After him, I had a commander uh, by the name of Archie O'Neill, who has retired, but 
He is now the director of our school security. And I still keep in touch with him as well. He was another one um, that said the same thing. They see the potential. Don't stop here. Keep going. I, I studied. We got promoted. Um, but one of my biggest ones, he's also a retired deputy chief from our department. And he's the deputy director of our um, public, uh, our uh, inspections and permitting uh, enforcement uh, bureau now. His name is uh, Gary Cunningham, who he was really instrumental in me getting promoted up to the executive level. In fact, when I had made, um, I was getting promoted to lieutenant. He's the one who put me in homicide as the commander and then and then forward. So I had some very good mentors. And, and, and all three, of course, were, you know, black males who took okay. me under the women. Yeah. Nice, nice. And then not to say that you didn't have any, uh, any uh, Caucasian or other uh, mentors along the way as well. I'm sure you did. Oh yeah, one, one of now I will tell you one of the one of the best commanders that I'd ever um, worked for when I was in in uh, homicide and then became the uh, com the assistant commander of the criminal investigation division was uh, a guy by the name of Michael Strong who was my uh, major when I first came over there and the one thing I got from him was he was an even kill leader he wanted you to make the decision he didn't want you to bring it to him for him to solve. Right. Uh, yep. There was a problem. I could tell him I had the problem, but I had to say, but, you know, here's the solution to the, to the situation. And he would allow you to work that out. And he could navigate his way through a lot of things, which is something I try to pick up. Is like if you give me an issue, I try to think of three or four ways that I could tackle it. That was him. So, yep. no, he was he was instrumental also in, in my my leadership style. Sounds like uh, he was reading. Uh, sounds like he was reading uh, some Phil Jackson. uh <laughs> plays right there or, or, or books uh, that that's kind of like what his thing was he's, he'd let the players he wouldn't call timeouts when when the other teams would, would go on runs and and uh the team would be down he would let them figure it out with the bulls yeah. and, the that, that, and that was him yep and that was, and that was and that was him and that yeah. was him yeah how about uh you paying it back are you, are you doing any mentorship with people behind you kind of ushering them along as well Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I have uh, three gentlemen now. One's got promoted to lieutenant. One is, uh, and two of them now are majors. One is actually the commander of internal affairs. The other one is actually the commander of our narcotics enforcement division. I have a uh, another one who is a sergeant running a regional investigations division squad investigating uh, uh, robberies. So I have about actually four or five that I'm mentoring, but. I'm also the one that my phone is on. And just last week, there was an incident that happened in um, one, of the, one of the lieutenants. And he's like my, he says I'm his god brother. He, he sends me a text message. It's 2 in the morning. He says, yeah. hey, uh, big brother, if you're awake, I, I, I need to talk. So I, I got up, I, you know, go downstairs to be respectful of the sleeping wife and sit down right. in the office and got him squared away. So, so yeah, I, I always tell me, phone's always on, call me. Yeah, good stuff. Pay, pay that back. Pay it forward as well. Absolutely. Full Absolutely. circle, full circle. So uh, what, what's kind of the more challenging parts of your job as a deputy chief? Uh, I would say in this climate now, it's retention of people. With all that's happening now, you have a lot of the senior officers who are saying, is it worth it to stay? And this isn't just our department, but I'm sure nationwide they're seeing more people leave the profession 
and the 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 uh, the attrition, the us getting people in is not uh, is not being able to sustain the amount of the attrition. So we're losing people, and that has become a, a huge challenge for us. And we're losing the experience and the quality of people. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, we're losing people. Are we losing them just? due to retirements and injuries and, and that sort of thing, or are we losing them because, you know, they don't like the way law enforcement is going um, because they, you know, they don't like change. You know, they like the way things were and things aren't the way they used to be. Uh, if that's the case, then sorry, you know, bye. Um, we, we can't stay in the same place. Um, but the challenge is, yeah, getting the, getting the people to come in behind you. And uh, do you guys see any solutions for that? Well, so, so here's, here's what I think. And if I'm sitting here today, if I'm, you know, well, in this position, and if I'm a chief of a department one day, we have to be realistic with the public and everybody. We have to tell people who are potential or prospective future law enforcement uh, officers that the police profession is ever evolving. Okay, there was once a time that you can come into an interview and remember someone may ask, you know, why do I want to be a police officer? And the candidate would give the the, the general answer, <laughs> oh, I want to help people. Yeah. And that was good enough. Well, now you're going to have to expound on that. So now the answer is, well, I, I, I want to help people. My follow-up question is, how? You have to tell us what it is that you're going to bring to this profession. And the people, the citizens, and everybody, because remember, yeah, we may work for county executives or mayors or city managers or whatever. Those are the ones who may sign the paychecks and give the direction. We work for the citizens in the community. So in Prince George's County, talking about a population of almost a million people and 500 square miles, I have a lot of bosses. That's what I tell people. I have almost a million bosses because they are. Right. And you have to remember that. And that's the mindset that we have to get into is that we work for the citizens in the community. And the people coming in, this new generation, they have to be they, they have to be aware of that. They have to know that this isn't anymore, uh, you know, just looking to lock up the bad guy, and write some tickets and do this. No, now you're going to be asked to get involved in, in, in seminars and, 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 and group think and assist in having not and uh, uh, collaborating to to have long and short term solutions for businesses, residents, and everyone. So yes. that's what it has to be. You have to let them know that there's a total package when it comes down to policing now. It's not just guns and badges and nice cars and riding around with the shades on and listening to the radio and, yep. and that. No, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a profession of service and you have to be willing to provide service. And if that doesn't uh fit with what you you're looking for then you know you need to look at something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, what's, what's one of the more rewarding parts of your job as a deputy chief? One of the most re rewarding parts is actually that, you know, there are people who still look to you for guidance. Uh, I have young commanders that are running district stations and running uh, shifts that, you know, they will look to me for guidance. They look to me for direction. Um, I also am uh, instrumental in providing that. Uh, some of the other uh, rewarding things about it is the fact that um, just the other day I, I reached out to a citizen that was trying to get some stuff done and 
couldn't find a way to get it done and ended up by by acting accident she she got my phone in the office and got me directly and we we're on the phone having a conversation and, and in 15 minutes what she'd been trying to get done for almost three weeks was was accomplished in 15 minutes she even wrote a letter uh to the chief thanking me for taking the time out and it wasn't that i sought her out or she sought me out it was by accident that she got my number in the office and called and I guess just, you know, it, it was it was God's grace that I was supposed to speak to her and get her the assistance she needs because she'd been getting ran around and not getting appropriate answers. So it's moments like that that are most rewarding to say that, hey, I helped someone get something done that was very important to them. Uh, absolutely. Good to hear. Good to hear. So uh, 23 years on the job, how, how much longer you, you got in the tank? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I, it, whether it's here or somewhere else, I, I, you know, I still feel good. You know, okay, <laughs> I'm not the, yeah. the the young the young guy at the age of twenty six when I first came on, but you know, I, I still I still can go. And, and what I mean by that is not so much the the action part of street or whatever, but the education piece for the newer generation to come in to do this job effectively and and, and, and correctly. So nice. that's I have I have a lot to offer on that front. I would love yep. to to be able to mentor those guys and teach them that. A lot more in the tank. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't have a lot more in the tank. I wasn't trying to put you out the stud or anything right now, Chief. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, you still got a lot more to go. A lot more to go. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, this is a really insightful. I, I appreciate. You telling me everything that you could about your department, about you, um, you know, the next step for you and your, and your department. Hopefully we can all because um, that, that's a nationwide problem, the recruitment right now and particularly minorities. Hopefully we can uh, bring them in and, and, and being a part of this solution is, is being part of this show is hopefully is part of that solution. So I thank you. I thank you. Dale, the pleasure and, and honor is all mine. Thank you for, for hosting and thank you for allowing me to participate. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're not done yet. Like I told you before, we got uh, a little something, something going on. Uh, I got a little rapid fire answer, question and answer session for you. So I call this. Uh, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black lightning's back. I call this my black lightning round. I'm going to throw some questions at you and you just throw some answers at me quick fire style and uh hopefully we can get some more insight about you so here's your first question the washington football team or the baltimore ravens 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 okay all right uh i'm sure you've been in a foot pursuit or two in your career right what's what's oh, yeah. the longest what's the longest the longest one was uh one it was actually right under a mile about nine of a mile all right. Were, were you gassed after that? Oh, no, I was actually good because I was younger then. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, if you hadn't gone in law enforcement, what do you think you, you'd be doing? If I hadn't gone in law enforcement, I probably would have stayed in the military and retired. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. Uh, guilty food pleasure. Ooh, guilty food pleasure. Lasagna. Lasagna. Ooh, I, I, yeah. I, I got you on that one. Um, how long has it been since you last arrested somebody? Uh, 2009. <laughs> <laughs> been a little while. Been a little while. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, so Prince George's County is named after Prince George of Denmark. Uh, have you ever been, or do you want to go to Denmark? Oh, I'd like to visit one day. My wife and I like to travel, so just the same way. Yeah. All right. Um, what's your favorite assignment that you've never done that you would like to have done in your career? My favorite assignment that I've never done but would have liked to have done in my career would have probably been to be in narcotics, in a narcotics enforcement division. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a hard life right there. Yeah, I, I did that for a few years. So, um, you like music, right? We all like music. Frankie Beverly or Teddy Pendergrass? Frankie. Frankie. Okay. All right. Uh, I was looking on you guys' website for recruitment, and and the department's helicopter out there isn't is part of that uh, that photo with some cadets as well. You ever been up in the department chopper? Uh, no, I have not. But now that I'm the bureau chief, they're trying to get me to go up. So I see that <laughs> in the real near future here. <laughs> so you, you're not scared to go up in it though, or? Oh no! no. Oh no! That, that's oh what you were you zip for five. You were in the core, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, bucket list person you'd like to meet one day. I'm Last sorry, question. which one? Bucket list question, uh, person. Sorry, bucket list person you'd like to meet one day. Still alive. Uh, President Barack Obama. All right. Never got a chance, huh? Never got a chance. Yeah, I, w- I would love to meet him as well. Real inspirational uh, figure for me you know, as, as far as uh, being the president, being a successful African-American male, family man, all that. Orator, everything. Yeah, he's Absolutely. inspiration. I-, I agree with you there. All right, Chief. I appreciate you uh, coming on and and having some fun with me here at the end and <laughs> Frankie <laughs> Beverly or, or, or Teddy Prendergrass, Frankie Beverly. Okay. I got you. I got you. Teddy got some. Yeah, got Teddy, some was for the, Teddy, Teddy was for the ladies, man. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, chief. I appreciate you. Uh, you be safe out there. Um, you know, wash your hands, mask up, and hopefully we'll get through this COVID and uh, be safe. All right. Always. Thank you very much again, Dale. Yeah. Look forward Talk to, to you hopefully soon. meeting again. You too, buddy. Absolutely. Bye. All right. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank my guest today, Deputy Chief George Nichols of the Prince George's County, Maryland Police Department, for dropping in and chopping it up with me here today. I really appreciated our conversation, sir, and wish you much success in your future. If you guys out there appreciated this episode, give it a thumbs up and share it with your circles also please like and subscribe to the black and blue podcast on my youtube channel or your favorite podcast platform i'll be back right here in two weeks with yet another fire interview same black time same black channel but till then y'all know what to do stay black in blue i'll holler at you peace Presentation.